Hi everyone, this is Alia Bhatt. This is Padma Purna Ghosh. In this episode of Vaccinate India, we will be learning about the many strains and mutations of the virus. How infectious they are, how they have mutated to what they've become, and what we know about the effectiveness of the vaccines against these new strains and mutations. And to help us understand this further, we will be speaking with Professor Ravi Gupta. He is the professor of microbiology department of medicine, University of Cambridge. Professor Gupta has been leading the research into emerging variants, especially in India and the UK. So let's find out more about this from Professor Gupta. Hello and welcome to the intersection. Hello. So why is this COVID virus mutating so fast? Or is this a normal thing that viruses do and what is the purpose of it? We looked at the, the ancestors of SARS and, you know, its relatives and we said, okay, well, these viruses mutate, but not that much. In the, in the early days, we saw, you know, yeah, we're right, we're correct. The virus is not mutating much and it's, you know, this is as we expected. And it's a bit less than flu even. But then what happened is that we realized that some people were getting chronic infections. So some individuals out there whose immune systems are not quite working correctly, they become infected and they can't shake off the virus. And what it does is it kind of stays inside them, it starts making more and then the immune system, which takes about seven to 10 days to start working, throwing out antibodies at the virus. And then the virus, because it's reached quite high levels in these people, is not suppressed properly by that immune response. And then it starts selecting for mutations, which are enabling it to get around those antibodies. So when you put a pressure on something, one option is to get around it, or the other way is just to drive through it quicker. So the virus is driving through these barriers quicker, and it is trying to get around them by changing the shape of its proteins so that the, re- the antibodies are not binding or recognizing the virus anymore. That's what's happening to accelerate evolution of coronavirus. And then when that person infects many others, they all then start passing on that new virus. And that, that's the birth of a new variant. Obviously, there's a very strong pressure when we are doing global vaccination on a virus like this. And has this been seen in past vaccination drives that when you put a strong pressure like this, they will try to escape it? It's not as easy for viruses to get around vaccines as we may think because the vaccines make many different responses. And, you know, we have a really broad array of armamentarium or army of you know, immune responses and viruses will find it very difficult to escape all of them. So there are very few examples where vaccines have failed because of resistant viruses. I mean, the only example of this happening is where HIV is so diverse and it makes so many different changes that our vaccines are unable to cope with all of these differences. So this is not a common phenomenon. So what you mean is that the antibodies that we get, if we look at them like Lego pieces, it's not just one Lego piece that the antibody is shaped like, they're various ones. That's right, yeah. Okay. In India, of course, we have seen these uh, new mutants, which is which is called the double mutant, triple mutant, using the numbers and alphabets that are associated with these variants is not very, let's say, layperson friendly. What should we be calling them? Is this the right way to describe the mutant? I mean, at the end of the day, it's about communication and communicating it in a way that people understand is important because what would happen is if we used complex numbers all the time, we would uh, people would just lose interest. And I think that, that it potentially is, is negative because then misinformation can spread because people will want to go to the easiest source and that not, may not necessarily be scientific. Many of us use the, the country names from which, the, you know, where the big epidemics are happening, where the, the virus originated. I try and use both names, the, the number plus where it sort of emerged from so that people can understand what we're talking about. At the end of the day, everybody's going to have a variant. And I, so I, don't, I personally don't think it's a stigma problem anymore because every country has a variant and we all have one. So I, I don't know why people are getting so upset now, especially as there was one in the Philippines, there's the UK, there's rich countries, poor countries who, uh, you know, who have their own variants. So there's, 
I think this will just blow over and um, and we should just use the terminology that we can understand. I don't think we're going to come up with some system magically that everyone can understand and is implemented universally. I think we should stick with what we have because, um, you know, people don't have infinite energy to understand this. But just to clarify, if you're saying there's a triple mutant versus a double mutant, the triple mutant is not. Oh, yeah, those words are, are not helpful at all because so those are not those are not very descriptive terms. Hmm. So while it is important to classify the variants by their numbers, it also helps to use terms that can be easily communicated so that the names don't alienate anyone. Just like when someone calls it the Indian variant, what they actually mean is B.1.617.2. So I understand that you have specifically studied the variants from India versus other variants. Could you tell us what is the state of knowledge? For virulence, it's hard to, to guess because that's basically saying that if you're infected, you're more likely to get really sick. And that is really hard to measure because you need to compare it with something else in the same population at the same time. These guys did worse. These guys did better. That's going to be really hard to figure out. Now, transmissibility is also hard because transmissibility, if you boil it down to what it means, it's actually how easily is it passed from one person to the other. And that depends on some on partial immunity and vaccination as well, right? Because if you're vaccinated, the transmissibility will appear to be very low. In fact, if you're fully vaccinated and the virus can't get around you, that's zero transmissibility. If the virus still has transmission potential. It's just that it can't get over the, the defenses in the, in, the other, in the person. So when B117 was described back in December, the background immunity rates or previous infection rate in people in the UK was only 10% or something from the first wave. So there we talked about transmissibility because the B117 was then going into populations that were largely non-vaccinated and had never seen the virus. So you could measure it quite accurately. It's much, much more difficult now with all the waves of infections we've had globally. I just wanted to ask you about the 0.2 variant in India, which is infecting those who have had the disease before or even those who have been vaccinated. Is this of concern and how worried should we be about this? This is the main issue with the 0.2 variant in that we, um, there were numerous reports in India of vaccinated people being infected, usually with mild symptoms. So we're not going to say that this is a really terrible issue, but, but people who have been vaccinated are being, are being infected despite vaccination. We, there's an outbreak in a healthcare facility where at least 10 people were infected by a, a single virus, as it were. Uh, and they were all fully vaccinated. So they'd all had at least the two days well before the, the incident. So they should have had very high levels of immunity. And yet they got infected. Some were, most of them, but or they all had symptoms, which is why they were tested. So they were sick enough or symptomatic enough to want to be tested. Some got, you know, felt very, very ill, but um, none of them were uh, hospitalized for very long. They, they did not have severe disease. Vaccine companies are also now testing their efficacies in new populations against new variants. From a country point of view, does this mean that countries should look into changing their vaccination profile? The, this is going to be a difficult problem for some years to come. Many different vaccines, variable efficacy, we have new variants all the time. It's going to require people to fund science properly. Some really fundamental research, not only on this particular virus, but its ancestors, aspects of its biology, we can manipulate to give wide ranging protection with vaccines. Because if you imagine, uh, if we detected a coronavirus now, if we had the right tools, uh, we could send all of our vaccines to stockpile, we could send it to that country or that place, vaccinate everybody around, stop it um, spreading. 
so would you say that countries need not stockpile and actually hedge against having more distributed profile of vaccines? Is that a smarter choice? Countries are in a difficult position now. One way of doing that is closing the borders and vaccinating everybody. So that's the obvious thing, which is what most most people in the street would want that from their government. So the problem with this disease is it happens in big hotspots. So you know, you you probably want to target the hotspots and prevent spread. And that's the way that vaccines probably should be used in a targeted sense. But that's a really difficult thing because it requires excellent surveillance, genomics, it requires, you know, interlinkage, it requires real-time decision-making, you know. So that's the way that vaccines should ideally be used as a tool to put out fires, obviously prevent the fire in the first place, but once they're little burning embers, you know, extinguish them quickly. Because, of course, we don't have enough vaccine to just blanket and vaccinate the whole world immediately, which is obviously the ideal thing. Is it prudent to even imagine that they will not escape? Variants are going to cross country borders. We are looking at the next 20 years of global vaccination then. The virus is unlikely to go extinct. Let's put it that way. It's probably now here to stay. It's going to be, you can't wipe this out. And so we'll have to start living with it, just like influenza and all the other viruses that we deal with. And with good vaccines, we should protect most people against becoming really ill. You know, that would be the ideal situation. So that's the way to look at this. So we cannot predict how the virus might mutate, as Professor Gupta said. But we do know that we might have to live with the virus. And it might become something more like the flu. But so long as we in India are vaccinated, we will most likely avoid a severe form of the disease. Thank you, Professor Gupta. All right. Thank you, too. Take care. Bye. And before you go, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Contagion, a science exhibition that has hosted guests such as Dr. Gagandeep Kang and Achal Prabhala. Contagion is an ongoing exhibition hosted by the Science Gallery Bengaluru. Here's a bit more about them by the director of the Science Gallery Bengaluru, Janvi Palke. Hello, everybody. I'm Janvi Palke, the founding director of Science Gallery Bengaluru. I'm here to talk to you about Contagion, our first fully online exhibition season. Contagion explores the transmission of ideas, emotions, behaviors, and diseases. All of this to help us make sense and understand a little more about the terrifying times that we are living through. Do visit our exhibition website at nowtransmitting.com. Intersection. Vaccinate India, a series by Audiomatic.in and Eternal Sunshine Productions. Hosted by Padmaparna Ghosh. Music by Josh Woodworth.